0: Okay, so we are in Mark chapter 10. Today we're, we're concluding a section that began many months ago. Um, it, it sort of began when, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And, and today ends that, that section as we turn our attention to the cross. Next week is, um, well, it's not actually Palm Sunday, but it'll be Palm Sunday for us next week. And, uh, and, and so this is a, just a great story. So let's pray, and we'll look at the text, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through the end of the chapter. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We, Lord, we um, just ask that you would um, meet us here today, Lord. We thank you for the time of worship. We thank you for the songs that we sang these uh, these these songs um, that the theme of many of them, whether we noticed or not, was, was dealing with being able to see you, to know you, um, and so, Lord, as we encounter this blind man on the road at Jericho, Lord, um, we pray that you would use his story, Lord, to um, to encourage us. Lord, help us to see our own blindness, um, and Lord, may we. Uh, just encounter you today lord we 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 do want to know you lord we thank you for the precious blood of christ as we saying that uh, that that redeemed us that he through his blood ransomed um, us that our the payment was made so that we could have life in christ uh, father i do lift up every person here we each are going through uh, various things and trials and stresses and weights the, the, the weights that are on us And so, Father, we pray that um, you would take our worry, help us to give it to you, and may we rest in your sovereignty. May we rest uh, knowing that you are a good Father, one who cares for us and takes care of us. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, And a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus and answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, rabboni I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go. For your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us uh, to see who you are in this story and may it reveal who we are, uh, sinners in great need of a Savior. And so, Father, we, um, we ask that you would use this time for your glory and our benefit, and it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen. So a couple, year, so a couple years ago, well, it might have been a year ago, it might have been two years ago, I, 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 you lose track of time, and it, and, but we, we had the men's golf event, and it was a ton of fun. I mean, I, I realized that golf is not like riding a bike, as I teed up, I'm like, oh, I golfed a ton as a kid, and I think Dave was in my, Dave was in my group, we paired together, and man, I hit that ball, and the bang that you heard a few minutes later, and Dave looked at me, and he said, well, that's a house that's not used to getting hit by golf balls, <laughs> meaning that it was so far, like, away, and so thankfully, it was, like, the best ball roll, and, and it didn't really matter, you know, like, I had, like, maybe one good ball in the whole thing, and, and, and so at the end of the whole event, Lee, I can hear him laughing already, you know, we carpooled, and so we were kind of changing out our shoes and getting in the car. And I was like, telling about the bad incident. I'm like, oh, it was so embarrassing. Thankfully, nobody came. I didn't hear, and I didn't hear any broken glass or anything. I think it was like right on the roof. And uh, and and so I was like, who'd you pair up with? And he's like, oh, I was with Ray. And I'm like, oh, really, Ray? And and uh, I'm like, well, who's driving? And he's like, oh, Ray drove. <laughs> and and I and I was like, wait, what's Ray? Is there because the only Ray I can think of is Ray Moore. And for, for those of you that don't know Ray, everybody else is laughing because Ray is blind. And, and like, li- like literally in every sense of the word, Ray is blind. And I, I said, Ray Moore was driving? And he's like, yeah, why are you laughing? I'm like, he's blind. And he, you could tell, I'd say he got pale, but Lee's already pale. Like, so then it was like this like ghost, like what do you mean? Like, I mean, he's literally blind. Like, he can't see. And he's like, I had no idea. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, I couldn't tell. I'm like, yeah, because you know what? He can see clearer than anybody on this golf course. He knows, like, he knows this golf course like the back of his hand. And the fact that he's driving you around and you have no clue um, c- kind of really showed that we all had the visual problems on the golf. Like, I definitely did. And... um The reason I bring this story up is because if you read this story at first, at just a simple glance, you would would walk away and you would say this story is about the one blind man that Jesus healed, and then he could see at the end of the story. But the reality is, is this blind guy in the story is the one guy who can see, and everybody else around him is actually blind, and... And I, I, I don't say that just by, by thinking about it. I, I say that because this is, this is the conclusion of a section. And throughout this section, a case has been made that the disciples just aren't seeing. Jesus is like, it's the final walk to Jerusalem. He's trying to, to disciple them. He's trying to prepare them for his departure. And it just seems like they just aren't getting it. And so, if you'll back up with me just to just to kind of get your bearings, go back to mark chapter eight. I want to show us the the beginning of this section and the and I want you to be able to see this case that's being made about the blindness of the other people. Um, so if we were to go to to mark chapter eight and verse twenty seven this is kind of the really the beginning of This new section, and and this is where we read that Jesus went out along with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way there, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do people say that I am? We all know the story. They all say all their answers. Peter finally says, you're the Christ. Jesus says, you're right. Then immediately Jesus, like or Peter blows it. He's getting reprimanded by Jesus. Um, But just before this story, if you'll walk up the page to verse 14. Now in verse 14, sort of leading into this new section, uh, we read this, and they'd forgotten to take the bread. This is already funny. Like, so they had forgotten to take the bread and did not have more than one loaf with them. So Jesus is talking about leaven. like He's talking about sin in the hearts of the Pharisees. He's not even talking about bread. And so this whole time, the, the disciples are going, great. He's passively aggressively calling us out for forgetting the bread. And you know, by the, by the end of this little section, Jesus is like, verse 17. Um, and Jesus, is aware of this, said to them, "Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? You guys, I'm trying to talk to you about something really important, and you're missing everything. He says, "Do you not yet notice see or understand." Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And then down to verse 21, and he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Right after that story, they, they encounter a blind man. And this this was the the, the fascinating healing of this man. In verse 22, they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus, and they implored him to touch him. Uh, Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. Uh, After spitting on his eyes, laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see men For for I see them like trees walking around. And it's kind of like when you go to the optometrist and they are doing the, the click, click, click. And you're like, oh, that one's clear. That one's blurry. That one's... And, and so clearly Jesus did something. And the guy's like, I see something. The, the men kind of look like trees. I can see movement. And Jesus is like, okay, let's click another one. How about now? And, and then, verse 25, again, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and, and was restored. And he began to see everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, don't uh, even enter the village. And so back then, we posed the question, did did Jesus kind of fail the first time? And that's not at all the case. Jesus could have healed the guy right away. But the the case was made, and it seems to be understood in this section, leading into the discipleship of the disciples, that Jesus is showing them that they're going to see in part, and it's going to take a little while to come to maturity to where they can get clear vision. And then all from that point, when Jesus, for the first time, reveals the cross to them, we see that they start to get it, and then they kind of miss the point. And Jesus, from this point all the way through to last week, you can kind of move back to chapter 10. um, Jesus three times then tells them, prophesies about The impending cross and he's telling them these things are going to happen I'm preparing you to be disciples and they're they're slowly getting it but they're not quite there yet and at the end of this section is where we encounter this blind man who will see some very unique things about his story and he is healed and then the very next thing we read in chapter 11 As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage, at Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and it's the triumphal entry. So it's a whole new section. And so it's not accidental that Mark puts this here. Um, I I hope that through this, you can kind of see, okay, there's some other blind people that aren't getting it on there. And and so, uh, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. So we have the map behind us. There's the two circles: the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, just to kind of show you the path they would have taken on the east side of of the Jordan River. Now, then you come to Jericho, which is right here. If my memory's right, it's about 15 miles east of Jerusalem. Um, there's some for the three of you that are going like that are going back and forth between all of the different accounts. You'll you'll see some. There's some. It seems confusion in the language. Like one account says, um, for, for here it says that they came to Jericho. A, another version says, oh, well, or not a version, another account, like uh, Matthew or Luke, I forget which one, says that they were leaving Jericho. And so to understand this is, um, I, I learned this week that Jericho is, is known to be the, the oldest city in the world. It dates back to 9,000 B.C. And so there's an old city and during the time of Jesus, when they would have walked through, this was, a, this was another location that Herod built up. Um, it was, he built it sort of as his winter palace. It's down in the desert. It would have been warmer. And he built this. If you've seen anything that uh, Herod built, it was huge and expansive. And, and that became the, the new um, Jericho. Um, and so they were about a mile apart. And so one writing says they were leaving Jericho. The other one says they are arriving Jericho. So it sort of explained that they were likely between the old and the new city um, for, for what it's worth. And so as he was leaving Jericho uh, with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. Now, if you uh, are reading out the NIV, that would be very helpful. I think that was one of the translations that said they, they came... Uh, to this blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus. And if you look at the New American Standard, if that's the translation you're using, Bartimaeus, bar means son, so it kind of explains that this Bartimaeus, he's the the son of Timaeus. Uh, When we look at this guy, he's introduced to us. Um, We see that he's a blind man. We see that he's a, a beggar, which means that because of his blindness, he has no capacity to earn a living or a wage. And so all he can do is beg. Um, we see that he is sitting by the road. And so he's, he's sitting there in his darkness begging. We see that Jesus is leaving Jericho with his disciples and this large crowd. It's, it, it almost seems like from, from Galilee, on this trek down, it's not that I've ever really done it, but I've watched cartoons. <laughs> and, you know, because we don't get a lot of snow here. But you know in the cartoons when you get a little snowball and the little snowball gets going and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? That's kind of what's happening with the people. And it makes sense because they're heading to one of the, the feasts that was required. They're heading to Passover. And so people would slowly be be joining the group and the crowd would be building as they're making their way to Jerusalem. At this At this point they're on the the final stretch to get to Jerusalem and so this this crowd is huge with with people these are uh, the, all of the the Jewish people and during that time are gathering for this feast that's descending on on Jerusalem and so this blind guy on the side of the road he's he's hearing noise and he can tell they're going by maybe it's a Maybe it's a, a, a critical time for him to beg because these are religious people so, and it's the Passover and maybe they're feeling more gracious or they're, they're more inclined to give, to help him. But we'll also notice, I'll point out to you up front, is this last phrase in verse 46, by the road is another key sort of phrase in the passage if you'll uh, look at the very end. So we begin the story, he's sitting by the road the very last thing we read in verse 52 is he began following him on the road. So the story moves from him being an outsider to him being an insider. Um, the, this, this is a, a, a picture of redemption. This is, a, this is a picture of salvation and discipleship moving from the sidelines to, to, to coming to know Christ and then following after Christ. Um, following the verbs in the story is, is very interesting. So we, we see this man. Sitting there, blind, helpless. Crowd is going by. Verse 47, he's hearing. And, and so, like, this is where we can only imagine, like, all of our senses, you know, the, being able to see, being able to hear, being able to, to, to touch. Now, I, I know there's five. Now, I'm forgetting all of them because I didn't really write this down. And I, I know I have them. I think I do. And, and, uh, but he's sitting there in darkness. And he can only hear, and I'm trying to just imagine what would today like look like—no pun intended—if I was to go through with like eye patches on. Uh, Two—not this last Friday, but the Friday before—driving um, into Escondido in the morning. Like every now and again, I'll see a blind guy with a like a stick that you could tell he's like partially blind because you could kind of tell he can kind of see what's going on. And he's using the stick j- just to like verify that what he's seen is accurate. But we were down, like, it was uh, Felicita in Center City, and we were kind of heading west, and there was the guy with the stick. And it was like, you you you, know, it, you could see him slowly doing the stick, walking down the sidewalk, making, like, uh, the stick was his eye. He could see nothing. It was evident. And we were at a red light because of was traffic, and, and, and I was able to watch the guy make it, probably 10 feet till he, till he got to the, where the crosswalk is there. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is center city. This guy is blind. This, this, how is he going to do that? And I could, I could, you know, there's, you probably don't even notice him other than an annoyance if you have a shopping cart, but you know how the corner, there's this, now they have the little squares with the little bumps that stick up. You know, like when you have the shopping cart, it's like, <laughs> it's like the kids sitting there's like, I'm really sorry about that. or Or maybe it's really fun for them. I But clearly, the guy got up to that, and with his stick, he began to, like, outline it. And then he stopped the stick sort of on the corner, and then he put his foot there and sort of got himself all lined up. Like, you could tell he's using the stick in those little squares to get himself perfectly lined up to go across the street. It's like, oh, man, like, you couldn't pay me enough to do that blind. Like, just, Gunner, how much to try to cross Center City (laughs) blind? Like, it's terrifying. This is this guy's, this is his everything. And so he's, he's sitting there. He could hear the crowds going by. And we're told that when he heard, it didn't say he saw, it didn't say anything. Like, he heard. Based on the chatter that he's hearing of people going by, which he wasn't a part of because he's a beggar. A beggar is... They're the the people that you don't even notice anymore. But it's interesting. Another interesting fact that I didn't tell you earlier, we did mention about his name Bartimaeus. This is the only person in Mark that was healed that's mentioned by name. That's a little for next month's Bible trivia (laughs) because actually in today's Bible reading for the going through the Bible in a year, it just happened that Today's message that I'm preaching on was today's reading. So Debbie, wherever you are, next month, because I'll get a question right and make sure it lands on the adults. (laughs) The question is, who in Mark was healed that had his own name mentioned? And there's only one answer. It's Bartimaeus. No, No other person was mentioned by name but Bartimaeus. Fascinating. And so this unnoticed guy, not only is he noticed, but he's named for us. And if you look at the other ones, you go, oh, Gunner might be wrong. The other ones have family members that are named. Like we know who, the people who came to Jesus asking for healing for the person, their name. but the individual is almost never named. Well, no, not almost, it's never named in the Gospel of Mark, I can say conclusively. But Bartimaeus is, is, is named. So this unnamed guy who's on the corner, the begging, around on the corner, that's me projecting what happened two Fridays ago, um, He's just on the side of the road. People are going by, and he can hear the chatter. The, the chatter is like they're heading to Passover, but Jesus is in the pack. Jesus is, Jesus is passing by with, Jesus is with us. We've heard all about him. Remember, Jesus' fame had spread. Like, he is known. He was, the authority in which he taught, the things he said, It was really challenging the religious leaders of the day because their authority was being questioned. And the allegiance of the people was starting to go towards Jesus. Um, Certainly the incident that happened in Nazareth had spread. Because from a non-believing perspective, it was the greatest blasphemy that could ever be spoken. But I can't help but to think that this blind man heard the rumor of this blasphemy and believed. Just to refresh our memories, if you'll turn with me over to Luke chapter 4, because this is significant on so many fronts, especially those that, uh, that say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. He absolutely claimed to be God. That's why they killed him. Like that's, that's, ex- that's exactly why he was put to death. And so in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, there's this great story. He goes back to his hometown. Um, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, his hometown, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read. Certainly a, a, a visiting rabbi would be given the privilege of, of sort of leading uh, the order of service. And so Jesus, this very popular man who was their hometown boy, um, he's invited to do the same. Now, the the rabbi, or you know, as we know as like pastor, they didn't choose the text. It was like everything was pre-selected. And so the, the scroll was brought out before Jesus for Jesus to read. And so... Uh, In verse 17 we read in the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him the section that was already slated for him to read and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. So now he's reading from Isaiah and there what's written is the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and note this part, and recover recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and his and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began saying to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what he read about was the day that the Messiah was gonna come. And one of the things associated with the Messiah's coming is that those who are blind are gonna receive their sight again, along with other things that were in there. He closed it, he sits down, he says, today when you heard this, this great prophecy that was given some 700 years ago has now just been fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, the story ends with him trying to kill him and throw him off, off a cliff, but he got out of it that time. And the reason I bring it up, you can go back to Mark chapter 10. Back to this blind man who can't see, who's sitting on the side of the road begging, who through the chatter that he's picked up, that Jesus is somewhere out there. Like I'm trying to to imagine a, 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 a like scenario, the... I mean, the only thing that comes to mind, probably because on Titus's birthday, we went down to the Midway, and there's that, like the walkway on the side of the, the, um, the bay that's a pretty big walkway where there's tons of tourists and stuff going back and forth. The only thing I can imagine is a setting like that, being there with your eyes closed, and somebody saying, okay, try to guess when so-and-so walks by, and there's all of those people, so you can, like, is he left of me? Is he right in front of me? Is he over here? I don't know. There's just chatter that Jesus is here. And I can't, like, I can't help not think that this, what Jesus did in Nazareth and all of the surrounding stories and everything, but the Messiah who was to restore the sight of the blind was near this man. We can only imagine how he felt. But we're told that he began to cry out. So this isn't like he's looking at Jesus, um, one of the stories that people always like to hear about my Navy days, which I don't like telling the story, when we were in Spain, the kids heard about it, like, oh, you swam against dolphins? I'm like, well, it wasn't really like I swam against them. I was swimming, and they attacked me. <laughs> like, they're Navy dolphins that are trained to attack swimmers. Like, it wasn't like just random, like, normal dolphins are really nice. The military dolphins aren't so nice. And they're like, well, what's it like? And I'm like, it's terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. But, but when you're, like, so the first time I thought I could get away, that was foolish of me. And I don't want to get so sidetracked, but when a dolphin is attacking you underwater, what you'll hear is it sounds like somebody snapping. I can do it better with this. It sounds like snaps. It's their echolocation. You know, it goes out, comes back to them. And they're just random. You know, like when popcorn starts going off, you're like, oh, and then you're trying to wait for it to die off before you turn off the microwave. But then they go from these random things to, like, And it gets really fast, and you're like, oh, Lord, please. And I wasn't even a believer at the time, and it's like, oh, Lord, protect me. <laughs> like, I don't want to lie. and then the guy's like, hit you. And so I kind of see this, as guy's just like randomly, cry, like crying out. Like, he just heard that Jesus is somewhere out there. And he's crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. And so for now... I'm going to to hold on the son of David part. We're going to to get to that because it's going to come twice. But the focus on the have mercy on me, he's he's calling out to Jesus and he's saying, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, which seems, I don't know, there's something about it that seems like odd. Like he's not saying help me, like mercy is withholding, like something that you deserve like like a punishment that you deserve like wrath that you would deserve from the messiah and he's screaming out have mercy on me have mercy on me have mercy on me there's desperation in his crying out this is a guy that is helpless he is an outcast in society he's not able to he, he's not able to do anything for himself all he can do is sit there in the blind and scream out son of david have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. Hoping that his words might hit Jesus somewhere out there and that Jesus might, in the monks of this huge crowd, might respond to him. Then there's a crowd of people. Verse 48 they were sternly telling him to be quiet. Shh! The adults are talking here. I think of like a kid in church, you know, which kind of fits the section, you know, the least of these. And so they're, they're telling him, like, quiet down, shut up. Like, you're making a scene. Like, like you're, 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 you're disturbing the flow. The good Jewish people are following Jesus. We're making our way to Jerusalem. This is a special moment. And you're screaming over here like a crazy person is ruining the mood. Get in the way of what we're doing, what the adults are doing. I, it, it seems that the intensity by which this is written is that they're really going after him. To sh- Will you just shut up? Jesus is trying to talk, and if you're screaming like that, we can't hear what he's saying or what he might say. We, we don't get a lot of that. On that one, to pause, to, to think that God's people could be a roadblock <laughs> which I, I think is a warning throughout the New Testament to us for how we receive people that, that, that come into our presence. That, that we wouldn't be a roadblock to those that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't maybe think like us. Um, it's kind of convicting. So they're screaming at him to be quiet, but all the more, is the, is the phrase that jumps out to me. That, that, that didn't calm him down. All it did was like, Throwing fire or throwing gas onto the fire, I I imagine that by the people's reaction, it was sort of um, it was sort of like their reaction was telling him you're really 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 close. Um, when we were in Spain, the car I had I drove me I mean it it drove me crazy but it was like I get the point. It probably drove me crazy because you know I backed in and I shattered out the window. It was really funny like i like, I can laugh about it now. But when you put the car into reverse. It would go ding, 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 ding to let you know that it was in reverse. But then, if anything was near you, it would go beep, 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 beep. And so when I smashed out the window, it was going ding, 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 beep, 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 beep. And everything was like, ah, I'm just gonna go one more inch. And that one more inch was all I needed to smash out the window. And and so like the people crying out all the more, it seemed to be like the beep, 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 beep. You're really close to Jesus. You're really close to Jesus. Calm down. If if He was a mile down the road, it wouldn't be a big deal. But He's really close. And so. All the more. This is this guy's one moment, his opportunity. He's not going to let it slip past him. And so the intensity, he starts crying out, All the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. It's been said that Jesus will never be a reality in your life until you've understood that he's a necessity in your life. In other words, Jesus will never be your savior until you realize how great your sin is, that you need a savior. And in this story, this blind man gets it. He sees more clearly than anybody else in the picture that this is his opportunity, that he needs the savior. And so he doesn't care what people think about him. He doesn't care what his friends are gonna react. He doesn't care about any of that. He doesn't care about embarrassing himself. All he knows is he needs Jesus. And so he cries out all the more, Throughout, throughout this week, I keep thinking of John Newton, who wrote the, the most, one of the, I, I'd venture to say it's probably one of the most beloved hymns of all times, Amazing Grace. And then when you learn about the story of, of John Newton, that he was a slave trader, and what he describes as the 20,000 ghosts that haunted him of these slaves that he was bringing across the sea, and that this evil, wicked man encountered the grace of God. It's just such a powerful story. And if you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, they did an amazing job portraying John Newton. And this song so resonates. I think the beauty of Amazing Grace is it was written by a man that understood how blind and depraved and how in need of a savior he was, that he wrote the words, I once was blind, but now I see. And the irony of John Newton's life is that he wasn't actually blind early on, but at the end of his life, he was blind. And there's that scene in the movie when he's with Wilbur Wilbur Wilberforce, who was the great politician that was a mentor of John Newton, who was actually the guy that became the guy that headed the movement to abolish uh, slavery in in England. Um, There's exchanges in this movie, and you see blind John Newton going to Wilbur, Wil, 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 you know, the guy, <laughs> W.W. <laughs> and Wilbur, Wilbur, will Wil- William, Force, William, William, William Wilberforce. That's why I'm getting it backward. Okay, that's, that's, that is r- way easier. Uh, so <laughs> William Wilberforce is way, well, I was saying Wilbur, Wil, yeah, that's why. that <laughs> You can do it either way. The Wilbur William force is way more fun to say. Um, but so you see this scene when, when he writes everything out in the list of all of the slaves that he's transported and he's saying, you need to do whatever you need to do. He's like, I may be blind now, but I can see clearer than I've ever been able to see in my whole life. And I know two things, that I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. And it's just, this, like it just brings you to, like I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. But this is a man that understood what it meant to receive mercy from God, what it meant to receive forgiveness, what it meant to gain spiritual sight. And so while this man on the road who is crying out, he sees more clearly about who Jesus is than who anybody else in the story even understands. Now let's get to this son of David. Bible trivia question number two for next month. Who else in the gospel of Mark refers to Jesus as the son of David? Zero. This is the only individual in the gospel of Mark who identifies Jesus by his name. And isn't it funny that he's the only individual that's healed by Jesus that also is is, is identified by his personal name. There's something fascinating about this. So Mark wasn't written to the Jews, so the son of David wouldn't be as significant in their reading, but it's super, uh, it's super deep and super critical. And so when he cries out, son of David, it's not just, hey, Jesus of Galilee. He, he's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I think that that caught Jesus' ear. Hmm, because to say that, that means you know about the Davidic covenant. And so if you'll turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 7, this is a, there's a couple covenants in the Old Testament that are, that are critical. And this is one of them. This is referred to as the Davidic covenant. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2, 2 Samuel, I was wrong the first time. I'm still thinking about Wilbur William Force. So, I uh, so Second Samuel, chapter seven. Sorry about that. I'll have a sip of water while the pages are turning. So in Second Samuel, chapter seven, there's this whole exchange with David and God. David wants to. You now David wants to build a more like proper place for God. They just have the Ark of the Covenant, and this kind of goes. And then God says this to, to David in verse 12. And he says, "When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, meaning, when you die, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name." And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the, the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart for him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and the vision and all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So the, so the, the point of all this is David is given this promise that through his line, a, a, a child will come and that, co- that, that, that child will sit on the throne not for four years, not for eight years. It says for eternity. It'll be a permanent kingship. And so the Jewish people understood that the Messiah that they were looking for that was going to become the king that was to reign and rule forever would be the Messiah. And so you can go back to Mark chapter 10. You can study that. You can Google the, the Davidic kingdom or you know, just look at, like, just study it on your own if you want to, um, Also, in Revelation 22, at the very end of the book, we well, I'm not going to turn that, I'll just read it to you. At the very end of Revelation, in Revelation 22, verse 16, we read this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you that these things, these things for the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star." And so, so like one of these prophecies that rides on Jesus and, and why Matthew in his beginning opens up with this lengthy genealogy is Matthew is making the case to the Jewish man and refers to him as, as the son of David throughout. He's, he's showing that Jesus' DNA aligns with the prophecy uh, on both sides. It's, it's fascinating. And so when this blind guy starts calling out, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He's saying, Jesus, I know you're the Messiah. There is no question who you are. You are the promised one. It's it's beautiful, and it's a great transition into the the next scene that we're going to look at at Mark as the triumphal entry. This blind man understood more clearly than anybody else in the story, more than Peter, James, John, all of the disciples, he knew who this guy was. And he calls out, and the people are saying shut up be quiet don't don't interrupt Jesus don't like whatever they were saying but it was clear that they didn't want this guy to interrupt the flow of what was happening and in verse 49 we read and Jesus stopped and said call him here now, i want to point out that Jesus didn't say hey you blind guy over there come to me <laughs> he talks to the people that were telling him to shut up <laughs> like hey you got you be quiet hey no actually can you tell him to come here I just to the, the see the change in their tone. Oh, yeah, yeah, I made a mistake. Like, actually, like, can you? Jesus actually wants to see you. <laughs> we we weren't really mean, we didn't really mean to be quiet. We were just saying like you know like you know so they tap danced somehow. They spun it, I'm sure. So they called the blind man, saying to him, "Take courage, stand up. He is calling for you." And it, it, I'm sure there's a story there, but we're short on time. But in my mind, this is like a the quick 180 of the. Oh, you're 100% wrong. He just be quiet. Jesus, don't want to talk to you. Oh, oh, actually, you're next in line. He wants to see you. Please come up, quick, quick. What are you you waiting for? And so then we see, now notice all the verbs in verse 50. If he was described in the beginning as the blind guy, begging, sitting by the side of the road, now it's throwing his cloak, jumped up. Now he was blind, not not physically handicapped. He just couldn't see. His body worked fine. So he throws aside his cloak. He jumped up. And it says he came to Jesus. I imagine this guy like just go and like go in the general direction hoping that they'll point him to him. And then answering him Jesus said, "What do you want me to do for you?" I don't think that this phrase is coincidental. If you'll bump your eyes back to verse 36, if you just go, remember uh last week we talked about the two brothers that say, "Hey Jesus, we want uh we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And in verse 36, Jesus looks at them with a smile in his eyes and kind of like, okay, I'll play this out. And he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Same, same response. The disciples who he'd been training so, so hard that they were, they were so blind that they weren't understanding, they weren't seeing they say, we want your one and two spots. This guy, what he wants is he wants mercy. He, he, he simply responds to Jesus. And the blind man said to him, rabbi, rabbi, teacher, son of David, you're the one in authority. You can do whatever you want. All I want is to regain my sight. Now this regain, it strikes me. This it wasn't a guy that was born blind. This was a. This he says that he wants to regain something that he once had. H- his request is really simple. N- now, s- simple and one, and difficult and the other. This this week, this week of all weeks, has been great. It's funny how things work, you know. that like God, like literally a week and a half, of, like a week and two days ago, I see that blind guy in the corner, <laughs> and, and then, then my dad has this eye appointment that pops up where we have to go to the shyly eye doctor, not, that's the word I can't say. Like, There's the ophthalmologist, which I can say no problem. Then there's like the ophthalmologist. Yeah, 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 what's phenol recital there? It's like the big guns and eye eye stuff. And so I I knew when the appointment had it, it said, okay, you um, um, make sure you prepare for three hours for this appointment. And it's like, whoa, doctor. It's like, okay, well, I'll bring lots of reading material. And so I'm down there going through Shiley Eye Center, which is like the eye place, and like it's the top dog place and and once you know it, I'm studying about a blind guy in a place with blind people, and like all of this stuff, like so many questions I want to ask these people with like these big old eye patches on, and I did, and I just imagined the worst case scenario so um but so then we we go through there, and the, the one doctor's like. Ask a series of questions. They, they do some tests on his eyes, and they say, okay, you need to go get some pictures of your eyes. So then I walk my dad down the hall um, to these guys that take two, two or three different types of pictures. Um, at one point, they dilated my dad's eye, which was kind of funny. They did it, and I looked at my dad, and I said, hey, dad, you handled that way better than I did when I was 12. And it, when I was 12, they didn't tell me what dilation meant. They just said it would open up my eyeball. And so I, that didn't sound good to me, so I got in a fist fight with the doctor that was trying to do it. And they had to hog tie me down, and then they put the drops, and I'm like, "That's all it was? I thought they were gonna open up my eyeball." And, uh, <laughs> and my dad, you know, in his early stages, he's like, oh, "I felt so bad. He's like, I really should have explained it better or differently than your eyeball was gonna open up, you know?" And and, uh, and, so then after all these pictures, there's like two doctors that come in back to back, like after one another, and they're looking through the slides of the eye, and the one, either like, "Good." And, because of my dad's Alzheimer's, he's like, Well, I had surgery, but I don't know what kind of surgery it was. I'm like, Well, we should be able to figure it out. But, but they're like looking at the picture, and they're like, Are you sure you had surgery? He's like, I know 100% I had surgery. I, I, I don't remember what kind I had. And the guy's like, well, I don't think you had cataracts. I see you on cataracts, and one cataracts in one eye, I see a bump here. And this, oh, the, the, I see a flap there. That means you had LASIX. And I can, and, and so when I say it's a simple request, like, he just wants his vision back. But I'm pretty sure, I didn't have the courage to start talking to these uh, optimal, op, optom, whatever they were, uh, about religious things as they are like poking around my dad's eye. But I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't say that this was a simple request because they had a whole lobby full of hundreds of people that wanted their vision back and that they were doing whatever they could to either hold off things, to preserve what vision they had, to do surgeries. To, like... But from this man that was behind on the corner, he knew who Jesus was. He understood the prophecy. He understood the, the Davidic covenant. He understood that Jesus, when he went to Nazareth, and he said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, he understood that the Messiah was going to be one who would restore vision. And so while his request, his request was simple, he knew for Jesus this was nothing. But it's not a simple request. It just de- depends on your perspective. And so Jesus said to him in verse 52, go, your faith has made you well. Just like that. It wasn't, like there's no, like he didn't get spit on. He didn't like, no, he just says go, your faith has made you well. Um, his, it wasn't his faith that was so, I mean, I, I, I'd i argue that his faith was great, but it's what his faith was linked to. His faith was linked and hitched to Jesus, the son of David. And it's the object of his faith that was great, that can do whatever he wants. And so just in that moment, he says, go, your faith has made you well. And it's interesting that Jesus said to go, but he didn't go, he followed. <laughs> like, Because he didn't say, come follow me. The young rich ruler, this guy couldn't stand more contrasted with the young rich ruler, which we just met a few weeks ago. He said, sell everything you had to follow me. This guy, he says, your faith has made you well, you're healed, go, go along. But what we, we read, immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road all the way to the cross. Michael Card says this, Bartimaeus becomes the jewel of Jesus' ministry. He is the one who is blind, who has asked for nothing else but mercy, who has left everything else, everything, who has left everything to immediately follow Jesus. He is the only person in Mark's gospel who calls Jesus by his personal name story begins on the side of the road. Begins on the road with him following. He starts out as an outsider. He ends being a follower. This is the picture of discipleship. He didn't just have Jesus come to him and do something. He went about his business. It was like he came to Jesus. He was transformed by Jesus. And his everything ends with following after Jesus. Um, it's a beautiful picture of the redemption process. Uh, this week at Bible study, we, we were studying about the um, the desert wanderings, and something was brought up by uh, Ray Vanderland that I had never really noticed before, but in Jeremiah, Jeremiah refers to this the, the desert period this this time of testing um, uh, for the nation of Israel as their honeymoon with god, which i 'm like i 'd never heard of that, nor have I never when you talk about the the wilderness. It's a place of suffering, testing, trials, punishment for their lack of faith. But then he said there's also good that they, they learned this partnership with God and they learned how to walk with him. And it just had me thinking about, you know, that, that window in my life from 1996 to about 2000, which where I was like a new convert. I'd gone from being blind to being able to see, but there's this tug of war in my flesh and I didn't know how the Christian life played itself out while the pulls of my flesh and old habits were so strong. But I look back during that window, and it's like a honeymoon, you know? Like, you first get married, and you're struggling, and you have these trials, and it's painful, and, you know, you're, you're eating Top Ramen. And, but then you kind of look back, and you're like, ah, oh, it's beautiful. Like, it was like, it's like where my faith came alive, And there's a reminder in this text that you might not be in your honeymoon period with God anymore. But like in real marriage, our marriage to to the lamb, there needs to be a fight to to maintain that relationship, to maintain the growth, to maintain the freshness. There was a story as we closed. Like there's a story I I stumbled apart that's beautiful. For the life of me, I can't tell if it's a real story or if it's a made-up story. But I know that a bunch of people tell the story like it's a real story. And it's a beautiful story. So whether it's real or made up, I don't know. If it's real, it's more powerful. But I, there, I haven't, Wikipedia, I couldn't find it on, so it doesn't, like, it hasn't struck me as a real story yet. But I'm going to tell it nonetheless. I'm going to read it. So the story goes back a long time ago that on the southern border of, of the Persian Empire of Cyrus, there lived a great chieftain named Cagular, who tore to shreds who tore to shreds and completely defeated the various detachments of Cyrus's army sent to subdue him. Finally, the emperor, amassing his whole army, marched down, surrounded Caguilar, captured him, and brought him to the capital for execution. On the day of the trial, he and his family were brought to the judgment chamber. Caguilar, a fine looking man, it says six feet, I was going to say of five foot ten. Uh, <laughs> with noble manner about him, was a magnificent specimen of manhood. So impressed was Cyrus with his appearance that he said to Cagular, what would you do should I spare your life? Your majesty, if you spared my life, I would return to my home and remain your obedient servant as long as I lived. Cyrus then asked, what would you do if I spared the life of your wife? Your majesty, if you spared the life of my wife, I would die for you. So that so moved was the emperor that he freed both of them and returned Cagular to his province to act as governor of that region. Upon ri- arriving home, Cagular reminisced about the trip with his wife. Did you notice, he said to his wife, the marble at the entrance of the palace? Did you notice the tapestry on the wall as we went down the corridor into the throne room? Did you see the chair which the emperor sat? It must have been carved from one lump of pure gold. His wife could appreciate his excitement, but she only replied, I I didn't notice any of that. Well, said Cagular with an amazement, what did you see? His wife looked seriously into his eyes and said, I beheld only the face of the man who said he would die for me. And I read that to remind you that there is a man who did die for you and it's Jesus. There's, there's nothing more dangerous for you to be in this room and to think that you can see when you're actually as blind as a bat to spiritual things. You have sin, and it's great. And Jesus is this great Savior that wants to save you, that he's going to the cross with a ransom to pay The payment that's due for your ransom to to, to, to your redemption to, to buy you out of the slavery that you're in thank you lord it's beautiful he wants to give you sight so that you can see him clearly and so father we do thank you and praise you for this day we thank you lord that we don't know if this story about this man was a true story but we do know that the story about you is true We know that history verifies and confirms many of the details of Scripture. And so, Father, I pray for each person in this room or that's listening to this message that uh, doesn't know you as Savior. Father, I pray that you would unclog their spiritual ears, that you would remove the cataracts of their spiritual sight. Father, I pray that you would show us each the depravity of our nature, the greatness of our sin so that we would uh, be drawn to you, that we would cry out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Father, for those of us that do know you as Lord, we we confess that it seems like the longer we know you and the longer that we walk with you, the the more comfortable we get, uh, so often like an earthly marriage. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, move in our hearts, that we would work on our relationship with you, that we would be uh, just committed to, to studying the word, to being in fellowship, to, to growing our relationship with you. For we know that Satan wants nothing more than to remove this relationship, to draw us away from you. And so we do thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, uh, that you love us so much. Help us to understand this great sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen.